Hey guys, I hope you're having a great start to the year and enjoying watching the Australian Open. Also, what about Breakpoint? Have you watched the second season yet? I just started it and I'm on episode three. So fun. This week, I'm excited to share with you my conversation with Dan Santorum, who is the CEO for one of our main certifying associations, the Professional Tennis Registry. He shared how he got started in tennis as Dennis Vandermeer's protege, how he transitioned from teaching to running and growing the PTR, the importance of certifications, and he shared his passion for diversity and much, much more. I just recently joined the PTR myself and I will definitely be at the International Rackets Conference. I mean, I live here in Tampa, so Saddlebrook is super close to me and I cannot miss out on that. So if you're a listener of Vita Tennis, I would love to get to meet you there. I have gotten some DMs from pros asking if they should get certified and which associations they should join and all that. And my answer is always, yes, get certified. Yes, get the education, especially when you're getting started in your coaching career. I think it is so important to go through that path. And as you develop as a coach and specialize in certain areas, then you start finding which association and which educational opportunities suit your interests and needs the best. So I'd say just pick one to get started and then take it from there. At least that's my take. And listen, continuing education is vital to continue growth, but not necessarily just tennis education. Think business skills, customer service skills, and most importantly, your own personal development listening to podcasts like Vita Tennis. Seriously, I mean, I have learned a lot from my own conversations here. So I really hope that you as a listener have also learned something. As always, please visit our site at vitatennispodcast.com for ways to support the show, past episodes, articles, and things like that. The easiest way to support Vita Tennis is to leave a review or to share our content on social media or with your tennis network. All right, get ready to hear from one of the best out there only here at Vita Tennis. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Vita Tennis, the podcast for those of us who eat, sleep, breathe tennis. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dan Santorum, Chief Executive Officer of the Professional Tennis Registry, otherwise known as the PTR, where he has served for close to 38 years. Dan serves on several USDA national committees and on industry boards for the International Tennis Hall of Fame, Tennis Industry Association, and the National Public Parks Tennis Association. Amongst many accolades, he's in the South Carolina Tennis Hall of Fame, the USDA Middle States Tennis Hall of Fame, and the Southern Tennis Hall of Fame. And he's a graduate from the University of Florida. Welcome, Dan, to Vita Tennis. Great, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. So, Dan, what's your story? Kind of walk us through your path. What was your start in the tennis industry like? And how did you end up becoming the CEO of the major tennis certification organization in the world? It's it's a, a lot of stories, actually, of how, how I got here. When I graduated from Florida, I, I went to work for a company called Athletic Attic, which was based in Gainesville, where UF is located, and was there for a couple of years, achieved all my goals. And then I, I was teaching tennis part-time to try to help this the athletic store. It was Athletic Attic was like a champs type thing. And I went down and got certified by Dennis Vandermeer and at the Vandermeer Tennis University. It was actually in Sweetbriar, Virginia. 
and uh, changed my life. I mean, I don't know if you had the pleasure of ever meeting Dennis, but as far as teaching adults, there was no better person to teach tennis to adults. He was the best. So one day I was heading down to uh, Jacksonville, Florida for University of Florida, University of Georgia football game. And I saw signs that Hilton had two miles and, and Hilton Head was where the, the PTR is located. And so in those two miles, which is basically two minutes, I said, well, should I keep going or should I get off and go say hello to Dennis and Pat? So it was one of those things I kept changing my mind. At the last minute, I just took the wheel and just and got off. And I, when I got to Hilton Head, Dennis was on the court as usual. He's one of the hardest workers I've ever seen and, and passionate. He remembered me, which that was his calling card. He had a photographic memory and never really forgot anybody's name. Yeah. And he says, go up and see Pat, his wife, say hello. So I went up and Pat said, oh, Dan, I was just thinking about you. Somebody that was going to come to work for us is not coming to work. And I was just going to write you. I mean, they didn't have email back then. I was going to write you and see if you and this other person was interested. But now that you're here, are you interested? And I didn't blink, Jennifer. I just said, yes. I didn't know how much money I was going to make, what I was going to be doing. If you've ever read that book, Blink, which I highly recommend to you and anybody else watching this, it's important to act sometimes on your gut. So I ended up a couple months later coming down to Hilton Head. I had the job and traveled all over the world with Dennis for the next roughly two years, which is like getting a PhD in tennis teaching is how I equate it to. And then I guess year and a half in, the person who was running the pro shop ended up resigning to go become the director of tennis at Port Royal Racquet Club. And so Dennis said, listen, we can't find anybody to manage the pro shop. Since you have experience, would you be interested? And I said, okay, what, what's it take? And he said, well, I'll pay you 25 extra dollars a week, which isn't much that now. And it wasn't, it wasn't a whole lot back then either. And what you have to do is you come in the morning, just open up the shop, make sure everything's okay. Then go on court with me. And then at lunchtime, go grab some lunch and then go check the pro shop, make sure everything's okay. Come back on court with me for the afternoon. And then afterwards, go eat, go play tennis and then close it up. So that was my day for six days a week, basically. So one afternoon, the phone rang. And back then, they didn't have sophisticated phone systems like today. And it was a call for Dennis and he was on the phone. So I had to go back and give him the message verbally. And he's on the phone and, he, and he's like, okay, okay. Well, I think you're making a big mistake. Hangs up the phone and he says, can you believe it? That's the 23rd person that's turned me down to be what was then the executive director of the USPTR. Mm. And I just said, well, geez, Dennis, I'll give it a try. And he leans back in his chair and he puts his hand behind his head and he says, okay, mister, let's see what you can do. Next day, I was the executive director of the U.S. 38 plus years later, here I am talking to you. Did you ever go back to <laughs> teaching after that? Did you teach on the side or anything like that? Uh, well, what I did was one of the things we did, because um, Dennis was like, well, how can we grow? And the only way back then, Jennifer, to get certified with, again, the USPTR was you had to go to Hilton Head or Sweetbriar and go to the Vandermeer Tennis University and spend a week with Dennis. It was a week-long course back then. Phenomenal. I mean, the best. And I said, Dennis, instead of 
people coming to you and coming to Hilton Head and to Sweetbriar, we need to go out to the people. That's how we're going to grow. And realizing that I was asking him basically to give away his income because he made a good living doing these courses. And to his credit, Dennis agreed to do that. And so we went, we didn't, they weren't week-long courses. They were weekend courses, which as they are now. And we just went out all over the country and then eventually all over the world like we do today. And it just, it made a world of difference in our growth and whatnot. So I did a lot of those workshops in the beginning, trained a lot of people, probably for about 20 years. I've done over almost 500 of them over the years in 60 some countries, all 50 states. I think Steve Keller and I are the only ones, uh, Steve works for the USTA, only ones that have done tennis teacher workshops in all 50 states. And I think Brian Parkin and our CEO is close. And I just help people now. I mean, people that need help, I'll teach them for free. I don't charge people, but it's not much. I mean, my job is is all encompassing as is you know evident by now. And this might be this might be a stupid question, but what's the difference between like uh, a registry and an association? It's just a name. When Dennis started, he, he wanted to differentiate himself from uh, the USPTA and there's his association. I mean, he could have made it organization if he wanted. He had registry. It's just good to separate things. But yeah. back then, I have to tell you, it, it was pretty brutal because the USPTA was up there. It was It was the favored organization by the USTA by far because they've been around for since 19, I think it's 27 or 29, for a long time. So it was tough getting our hooks in with the industry. And there was a lot of other things. There was some friction between Dennis and the U.S. That's a whole nother story for another time. But it was tough sometimes going in to USTA events and you never heard USPTR, which we ended up changing our name back in, I think it was 2002, to PTR, but it, it was a tough grind, but we kept slowly growing. We, until COVID, Jennifer, we grew 32 straight years, which I'd say is unprecedented yeah, uh, as far as that's concerned. So, what would you say is the main thing that you remember from him that he taught you at the very beginning? I, I, I don't know if it's taught or observed. He had incredible passion for teaching tennis. Here was a man that would teach, this was his week, he would teach from Monday afternoon through Friday afternoon. He did what was called an adult clinic mainly, or sometimes he'd do junior clinics. And then on Friday, he'd have lunch, then they'd come back and they'd do an adult weekend clinic. And that would go from Friday afternoon to Sunday afternoon. He had Sunday afternoons off, And by the way, when I say Dennis had Sunday afternoons off, I'm talking about me and all the other pros because we worked the same schedule, basically, which was, as you're going to hear when I finished, is pretty incredible. So I had Sunday afternoons off, but they had an exhibition. So he would be there for the exhibition, promote to the locals and whatnot. And then he'd have Monday morning off as well. So but he wouldn't have Monday morning. He'd come in and he'd do do business. I mean, that's the only time really that he had a chance to do business was Monday morning. The, the incredible thing to me is he never got burnt out and he, he loved what he was doing. And, and one of my 
Ted Sains is passionate people inspire their students. And there's nobody that I know that represents that more than than, than Dennis Vandermeer. It was, it was a loss when he left us and it was a loss for the the other, as, as they call them, the Fab Four, the Big Four, Voluntary, Burwash, and Braden. I mean, that was an era that I don't think we're ever going to see again, Jennifer, unfortunately. It was incredible. But times change and thankfully yeah, tennis right. is, is doing well. They certainly do. <laughs> Times yeah. change. That's a guarantee. And now things are so different. But one thing I'll just say, I mean, go back to what he taught. I mean, it's not that I did. I did learn a lot from him. But one of the things that was really important that I, I stress, I just certified Bob Bryan and, and Lindsey Davenport, the Davis Cup and the Billie Jean King uh, Cup captain. And and I, I took them through some of the things that Dennis taught me. And, and one of the things is, the importance of using people's names. I'll never forget, he said, that the sweetest word in the English language or any language is your name coming off of somebody else's lips. And you go back to, Jennifer, when you were a, a, a young girl and, and, and the coach knew who you were or the, the, the pro knew who you were. Yeah. How did that make you feel? I mean, it makes you feel special. Being able to learn people's names is, is a gift. And he had a photographic memory. I don't, but I learned how to get a better memory. And he expected that of all his pros. And that was one of the beauties for the people that came to Vandermeer. It was like coming home because everybody knew your name, kind of like the cheers. Everybody knows your name. So that was special. Yeah, it's in the little details like that. It's just able to make the effort, right, to remember people's names. I think that is important in yeah. any setting, right? At least when you're at a club, you kind of always see the same people. But maybe in a public setting, you see different people all the time or different days. So it's definitely a skill to develop as a coach to be able to to remember people's names. <laughs> I definitely had to work on that. And to be honest, I, I ran out of time and I didn't get to go over that with Lindsay, but I, I am going to uh, reach out to her and, and, and give it to her because it is important. What would you say has been one of the main steps forward that, that the PTR has taken in the last, I don't know, five to 10 years? Because like you said, it's different times and you got to yeah. evolve, you got to change. Well, there's certain things I look back in my career milestones, I guess you'd call it. But if you're, you're talking five to 10 years, I, I, I'd i say PTR has always been, not always, but since the early 90s involved in diversity. We were diverse before diversity was a big thing. In fact, back then in the early 90s, it was by the USDA, it was called minority participation. And it was basically towards ethnicity. But recently we formed a, a PTRW and the W being for women in an effort to try to get more female coaches in our industry. And Milena Vitos heads that up in, in, in our office, and she's our director of education and diversity and is doing a fantastic job. And we've been able to outsource people like Sarah McQuaid and Linda Lowe and others to help us with that. We've done two summits at IMG not too far from you uh, that have been very successful. And we do smaller events in New York and in and, and, and Southern California and looking to do it in other sec USTA sections as well. It's something that we're really proud of. And we're not doing it just because it's the right thing that we're, we're doing it because we believe in it. And it's made a difference. We have the highest percentage of women ever. It's not where we want to be. Tell you a quick story. I was about probably, I think, five, six years ago now, 
I was at the Grand Hyatt for the what used to be the semi-annual meeting, and I was standing outside one of the meeting rooms talking with Billie Jean King and, and Delane Mast, who used to work for Billie Jean, and, and, and Billy asked me what percentage of your membership are, are women coaches, and at the time, it was like 24%, roughly 24%. That's what I told her, and she said, well, Dan, that's not good enough. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, you have to have a third to make a difference, to have a voice. And so right then I went back and talked to the team and said, well, we need to have a goal to get to a third, not only as far as women coaches, but coaches of color and also not age as well. That's the third bucket as far as diversity. So fast forward to today, I think it's 26.6 now. So not to where we want to be. Our goal was to get to a third. Good news is we did make it with diversity. We were at 27% at that time and we're over 33% now. And we, we might want to delve into that. Well, why, why such a tough road to hoe to get to that 33%? And why is there uh, a shortage of women coaches, whether well, there's a shortage of coaches, but especially women coaches. And we're inching up and it's more of a marathon, not a sprint. And hopefully interviews like this will, will get the word out and the, the females watching this that aren't PTR members will say, hey, I want to join an organization like this that really makes sure that, that women are promoted in our industry and help to have better careers and things that we can do possibly to help for women to have better careers teaching and coaching tennis. I think it is tough for women in, in this industry in general, but that's crazy to hear. It's good to put the numbers out there just so that people are more aware of it. But yeah, that's kind of shocking to me. I, I thought it would be closer to 50%. It is kind of shocking because it's 50, it's close to 50% of the, of the pe people that play are, are women. But this is a job, and it's a job that's not nine to five. If it would be, it would be a lot better job for a lot of people. We'd have a lot more people in our industry. I think that's one of the reasons that we struggle getting more coaches to teach tennis is because... I mean, your typical day for most people is you start early, seven, eight o'clock, sometimes even earlier, and you work to about noon. Then what happens? Then you take off three hours and, and then you come back at three and you work to eight, nine o'clock. Well, that's not your typical job. And if you're the one that's responsible for the family, for raising the family, which traditionally in this country women are, that makes it even more difficult. And so what's the answer and to that? And one of the things that I think is that clubs and, and employers need to look at its shifts or part-time help to where you can work from seven to noon if you want, and you can work three to eight. And then you don't want to work that three to eight shift because that doesn't help your family and you don't want to work the the morning shift because if you have kids, that's that's tough. And and so like maybe three days you work the morning and the next two or two or three, you you work the, the late shift, so to speak. And if you're working five days and you flip it, although most people work, again, six days a week. And that's not traditional when you see some countries wanting to go to four-day work weeks, 32 hours, and so forth. So, And most of the times with very little benefits and 
a lot of times these jobs don't even cover insurance and things like yeah. that, I think are important. Yeah. Very important, at least to women. <laughs> yeah, I was at the UST Missouri Valley annual meeting this past weekend, and Brian Vahaley, who's the, the next in line to become the, the chairman of the USTA president and chairman, and we got to spend 45 minutes together. And we talked about the two biggest issues that the USTA sees is the lack of coaches and the lack of courts. And we didn't talk so much about the lack of courts because I went the next day to the the, the court builders conference and that was talked about. But I, I, I talked to him about the, the issues, some of the things I just mentioned to you. And we brought up the fact that benefits need to, to improve uh, because we lose people, Jennifer, to other other professions, not because they want to leave, because they don't have the benefits. They're not provided the benefits by their employer, such as insurance, uh, mainly uh, health insurance and, and 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 vacation and just things to to live, quote a normal working life. And 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 so the industry needs to look at that. And and I've talked with Craig Morris about it, and he gets it. And I think eventually we just need to get a summit together with those that, that employ the coaches, the, the country clubs, which tend to be better, uh, yeah. the commercial clubs and uh, the resorts and, and the park and rec, which in, in some cases are seasonal. But there just needs to be a meeting of the minds to solve that problem. The other thing that, that's, that's hurting as far as lack of coaches is that it's tough to get a visa now. We were fortunate for several years to to have uh, a lot of people that played college tennis got to stay and teach tennis. It's much more difficult. I, I was talking with Jack Waite, who's a, a, the director of rackets at a country club in Connecticut, and he was saying that one of his staff just got denied, and, and this person's unbelievable. I'm like, how can you not let this person have working papers in this country. It just doesn't make sense. And when I did some research, Jennifer, into it, I found out that the United States hasn't made any real reform to their visa laws since the 70s. And it's really not on their radar, unfortunately. So we got to keep trying. I mean, listen, if, if people that cut your hair have to have a license, they should have to have a license to, to teach tennis for sure. And maybe that's something that, again, it's a lobbying effort that would have to lobby the, the, the Congress to, to get it done, especially now with what happened at Michigan State and whatnot. A lot of coaches work with young kids. And the good thing is with PTR, you have to be safe play approved to get certified. And, and that was one of the things we're the only accredited USDA organization. And that's one of the mandates. And it's important for us to do that. We lost a lot of members. We lost almost 28% of our members when we did that, but it was when worth did, it. When you did what? When you did this? We went to safe play the, because really? some of the coaches didn't want, not some, 28% didn't want to do it, but we're climbing back to where we are. And, and safe play is becoming more the norm now. It's, Any it's guesses just, why? Any guesses why uh, that would deter somebody from from staying in an in an organization? I mean, I think it's a good thing. It keeps it makes everything safer for everybody. Why you're preaching to the choir there? I mean, why would you do that? And what were the reasons? I don't have a problem with that issue, and, and so I don't want to go through that. And yeah. it's lazy, basically. And obviously, there was probably a, a small minority that did have an issue, but for the vast majority. I mean, it's, it's the same question, Jennifer. Why don't people 
want to get certified. I mean, separate safe play before that came in. Why don't 50% of the population not want to be certified is because they don't want to take the effort to do it because they've got a job. They don't need it. It's not required to have a job. And and that's another thing going back to, boy, if we had a a summit with clubs, it's the clubs that should require safe play. Yeah. What what would you say is the or are the goals of the PTR then? Because obviously certification, continuing education, uh, but all the things that we're talking about, lobbying for more female coaches, and all the different things that, that you just mentioned. What role does the PTR play into all that? Well, I mean, as the only accredited body, we have a responsibility to make sure that we provide our members with the best education possible, and we do have the best education out there for them to do their job because that's what they're paid for to teach their students and work with their students. Brian Parkinen, who's our former director of education, did a great job bringing us, and before that was Steve Keller, bringing us up to where we need to be as far as education is concerned for our members. And we now have a a level three status for our members. Level one is the the basic and level two, then level three. And it's just important to offer that pathway for our members to continue their education, which is required. And they have to do 15 hours in in a matter of three years. But the the level three is is two weeks. I mean, and it's, it's pretty considerable as far as that's concerned. And we work very closely with the USD. We have the, the relationship we have with the USD is the best we've ever had, to be quite honest with you. And we hope it continues to improve and work together. That's one of the things I talked with Brian Vahaley about. Is there something the USDA can do with their sponsors to possibly help with insurances? Because they've got some great sponsors at the US Open that are in yeah. insurance and banking that could possibly help our members and help the industry as right. a whole. Because I say there's five pillars to our industry. There's the coaches, okay, which we represent. There's the manufacturers, there's the clubs, there's the and there's the court builders and then there's the pro tours. So just imagine like those Roman columns and then above the Roman columns is that is the dome, the rotunda and that's the federation. And in our case, it's the USTA, and they sit on top of these pillars. And if one of our the, those pillars aren't strong, guess what happens to the dome? It, it's it becomes unstable. And fortunately, for the first time in a long time, I'd say all are very strong, but all have their own issues. If if you look at it, if you look at the court contractors, there's a, there's a lack of courts, and they're working like crazy. As I evidenced when I, I went to their uh, convention this past weekend, Fred Stringfellow is their executive director and just does a fantastic job. They had over 1,100 people there. The first time I went to it about, oh, two decades ago, they had a, a couple hundred. I mean, it's amazing how they've grown. Manufacturers are, are, are doing well. It's just nice to see. And part of that was maybe COVID, but it's just, and clubs are doing well and, for us, we have a lack of coaches, but other than that, we're pretty strong. So, and then the tours are, you read about what's going on with the tours. They're led by two very qualified individuals and and Lindsay and, and Steve Simon. What I always hear about from pros, at least, that don't, or that do end up getting certified or joining an association, it's mainly because of the liability insurance. And I've always thought, well, 
Yeah, I mean, that's great to be protected. I've never heard of anybody ever really needing the liability insurance. I mean, I don't know, maybe I just haven't heard it, but it happens more than I realize. I don't know. But that seems to be the main yeah. reason why people join it, which is is kind of a shame because I feel like there should be more, either more incentive to, for people or, I don't know. Like, yeah, I think the education side should be should be number one. I, I, I agree with you thousand percent. And I also agree with your analysis that most people do it because of the insurance. I don't know if it's most, but quite a few do to protect themselves. And and just as an aside, as far as people end up using it, it is a small amount. But the way I always justify it is I live here in Hilton Head, South Carolina. And during hurricane season, you just hold your breath that not one's coming our way. But those that have been hit by hurricanes, realize the importance of having hurricane insurance. And it's the same with liability insurance. You don't know when someone's going to trip on a ball and they're going to they're going to turn around and sue you. And, and the good thing about PTR is the, the, the insurance company that we have pays for the lawyer to defend. There's no out of pocket, which is incredible. And it's just peace of mind. Uh, yeah. But I agree with you. The altruistic thing is, is that you should want to be certified and 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 go through safe play and and have your continuing education requirements set because you owe that to your student to to keep it up. I mean, would you go to a doctor or a dentist that doesn't keep up because they have to keep up their professional uh, degrees? And you wouldn't do that. And it's the same for for our profession. That to be honest with you, you know, the fact of the matter is they our coaches don't have to be certified unless the the club requires it, but. In, in most countries, it is required that you have to be certified. If it was like that, boy, my job would be a heck of a lot easier. But every day we're out there fighting the battle to make sure that we get more people certified and, and we have a competitor. Yeah. So nothing's given to us and it's all learned. But I think that's one of the things that makes the job special is that every day I come in here, you got to earn people's dues money that comes in that they have to pay. We we try to make it to where it's affordable, a great value. And we have a saying, quite frankly, you can't afford not to be a, a PTR member. Because if you look at all the benefits and you add them up, the perceived value, it's over a thousand dollars. And we have the lowest as far as entry in terms of membership, it's $237 a year. And we do prorate it, but most people don't think it's expensive, but for some people it is expensive because they don't have the benefits and they're going to have they have to shell out a lot of money for for insurance and and and, and so forth. So, right. And outside of getting certified, do you think that there's any other skills or courses that that tennis pros should be considering? I mean, yeah, we have our international rackets conference coming up. It's going to be moved to Saddlebrook this year, February 4th through the 7th. And that's just a great event to come to because not only for the education, but for the networking and the people that you meet and people that come love it. And and about 50% of the people come every year. So we're hoping to have one of our largest events ever uh, it's going to be at Saddlebrook, just north of Tampa. The, uh, the nice thing is the weather will be a little bit warmer, too. And most of our members that we well, the largest state as far as PTR members is Florida. So we're hoping the Florida members will get in the car and 
and come see us. And, and it, it, it's exciting that we're going to be there. Yeah. And this is it. You said it's a racket conference. International Rackets Conference. We rebranded it. It used to be the International Tennis Symposium. And so in addition to tennis, we're having pickleball and, and padel too. So, so yeah, so we'll have those three sports. And as you know, uh, the, the biggest change from when I started back in, in teaching back in, in 1984, it was you were a tennis pro or a tennis director. On the last three, four years, that term has changed to director of rackets or a rackets professional. And you don't just see tennis now. And 22% of our PTR members are uh, also certified in at least one other sport, mainly pickleball. And so, but Padel's coming on. I don't see it as a pickleball in terms of numbers, but it's going to have an impact just in a different way. Are you guys going to have a temporary Padel court at Saddleburg? I don't think they have a Padel court. Do they, they, they don't. We were hoping to get a temporary one there. Saddlebrook has agreed in the future to, to build one, but uh, there's one not too far that uh, they're going to provide transportation for those that want to go to the Padel uh, course. We, we're bringing in Martina Chigaray, who's, they call him the Nick Boletari of Padel. He's just one of the most successful professional coaches and not only from the professional side but from the coach education side he's brilliant and he's coming to give uh, some talks and he's going to be doing a, a PCR course Padel coaches registry course so you should should come over and yeah you want to get your Padel certification so I play Padel every now and then but I really like it there's just not a lot of courts around but I think that's going to change there's People out in the West Coast, Ryan Redondo, and of course, Marcos Del Pilar is, is very active getting courts built. You're seeing more and more. It's more affordable, too. That's the good thing. That's great. And what about any changes that you still want to see? I know we've talked about the challenges, but what are some changes that you'd like to see in the, in the industry sooner than later? And how do you think we can professionalize our industry more? Because I feel like and, and maybe that's one of the issues that I have and that I want to see change is because everything's so informal as a coach. Like a lot of times you don't get like an actual contract or everything's like word of mouth. I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts on maybe some of the things that we can do in our industry to make it a little bit more professional? Well, I, I think to do that, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. It goes back to if certification was required, okay, then we'd have we'd have standards that we could in, enforce because right now there's other than the safe play, and we can't really enforce that. It's up to them to do it, but we made it part of our certification requirement. And to be able to do that then, and you can see in other countries where it is required, the level, it's pretty high. Because when you have about 50% of your industry, the tennis coaching, tennis teaching industry, not certified, that means most of them aren't out there getting their continuing education either. And that's not good for our industry. It's not good for the the clubs. It's not a good thing for tennis as a whole because they've chosen not to get a certification and improve their education. Unfortunately, Jennifer, until that changes, it's always going to be the case. And kudos to the, those that have taken the time to get certified in other organizations and 
10% of our members, we, we haven't kept track of it recently because we haven't been able to, but are members of PTR and USPTA. So 50% are not certified at all again. And some people say it's more than 50%. But the USTA is trying to get a new group called Kinetica and then trying to work on a thing called Tennis Connect to find out where all the the demographics are, especially in, in coaching and facilities and stuff. And I think by doing that, we'll have a, a better chance to to go to the industry and say, all right, here's where we are and here's where we want to go. Because we don't know how many courts there are in this country and we should know. Uh, we don't know how many coaches there are. We know how many certified coaches are with both organizations. But other than that, the non-certified, it's just, I'm just saying 50, probably plus or minus 10. Yeah. Percent. But the good thing is that the industry is, like I say, it's strong right now. But to get stronger, we need to fill in that gap or gaps to move forward. Dan, before before I let you go, I wanted to ask you what has been the Grand Slam and Double Bagel moments of your career? Obviously, most of the, of your career has been with the PTR, but what has been some of the highlights, your favorite moments, and maybe your least favorite moment from it? I don't know if I have favorite. I may have moments. I mean, back in the early 90s, when we started PTRA's program, Advancing the Commitment to Education, it was geared toward, uh, again, that the term was minority coaches, but it was mainly African-American coaches. And the person over my shoulder here, Arthur Ash, he was our first program spokesperson. And that was huge for us to get the, the program together and a lot of good stories there about Arthur. And that's probably one of the, the things I wish that we had Arthur still with us because I know you probably never met him. He was one of the most incredible human beings you'd ever want to meet. And he's on my Mount Rushmore along with Billie Jean King. And they were both are very similar. They're just light years ahead of our time and the things that they did. And, and with Arthur giving his support, uh, it really helped the ACE program progress. And it, it helped diversity in this country in, in terms of ethnicity tremendously. I think it was one of the main reasons we are where we are today. And we were fortunate to have the USDA support and the TIA support and others. But that's probably one of the things I'm most proud of is uh, because there's a lot of ACE graduates now that are in tennis section and state halls of fames because of that ACE program. And uh, I, I mentioned I was in Missouri Valley this past weekend, their annual meeting. And I sat next to a dinner with Jeremiah Olson from Oklahoma City, who was taught in the park and recs for 45 years in Oklahoma City. And I actually had a chance to speak to the group and I mentioned it. And I said, hey, you got to give it up for Jeremiah because look at the difference that he's made in that town for 45 years. And he should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, people like Jeremiah and there's there's so many others that uh, we say made a world of difference. And that program, the ACE program, continues to make a world of difference. And I sit on the USTA Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Committee, and we talk about the ACE program and getting more diversity workshops set. In fact, we had a meeting the other day, and we're going to be doing 300 workshops. And a lot of those workshops, Jennifer, are going to be for coaches of color, for women, and for younger professionals, because the average age is up there. Ours is 
we ended last August, which is end of our membership year. It was 48, I think it was 48.8 was our average age, which is the, the lowest of the organizations, but we need to get it lower. I mean, back when I started, it was it was a lot lower and it's just gotten older and older and older. But we've actually declined a little bit, which is a good thing to decline to, to get younger. But I'd say the PTRW is something that look back that we started that was very important. Our entry into pickleball, we took a big leap and stuck our neck out and we could have had it chopped off, but it was the right decision. It was a huge risk, but now it's paid off and just elevating the education in our industry where Dennis was, we had a standard method to where we are today with our education, very coach education, very proud of that and how we're working closely with the UST and other federations to improve that so we can make you and your colleagues to be able to do their jobs better. I like the PTRW. I've just seen some of the posts and I haven't been to any summit, but I'm planning on doing that. But it does look great and I can't wait to, to check it out. So... Well, we'll look forward to having you and your fellow female colleagues come and be part of it. It's special. I didn't go to the one this year because... We wanted to send a staff that was all female, and I think that was the right move. But I was appreciative of the fact that I did go to the one before and and just see through a woman's eyes what they're dealing with in our industry. And it was eye-opening, so to speak. And what about a double bagel moment, if you don't mind sharing, from your career or it can be from when you played. I'm just the type of person. I, I tend to stay very positive and I know I've made mistakes and, and, and whatnot, but I'm one to just focus on the successes and celebrate those successes as well. The biggest disappointment probably is that I had applied to become the coach at the women's coach at the University of Virginia. And this when I was young, this is one before I even, uh, well, after I actually gotten certified and I was young and, and I didn't get it. And, the, and all the, 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 the girls in the team, they wanted me to, to have the job, but I was too young at, at that point. And to be honest with you, I was too young to have this job. I was 26 years old. I mean, wow. when I when I end up retiring, they're not going to hire a 26-year-old person to, to take this job. I had no experience. Yeah. All I had was a business degree from the University of Florida <laughs> and a great teaching background from, from Dennis. And I just don't, like I said, I just don't like to look back. Look ahead. There's a lot of great things to look ahead. We've got a great sport and uh, a lot of good things to happen. And after I retire, I am look forward to, to seeing how everything shake out and pitch in where I can. Yeah. And I think the the all the programs now for professional tennis management and even at the University of Florida, I think that those should help to get younger coaches because we're getting some of those college students interested in pursuing a career in tennis. So I think that those are great things. I, I wish I had I, studied in those. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, University of Florida uh, doors program is great. In fact, I saw Kim at the Missouri Valley Conference, too, there and caught up with her. And, and and the PTM programs that you mentioned, I mean, RJ is now taking over Ferris State. He's going to turn that program around. Scott is at Methodist, and I, I see he just took on the coaching duties too. But there needs to be more of those programs, Jennifer, a, a pathway. Uh, because once someone gets to college, they're probably not thinking of teaching tennis. But if they know that that's their goal, to go to a college that they can, in essence, major in tennis – 
you know, they've got more job opportunities. So I know that that's one of the things USDA wants to do is try to ramp up. And the key is to get a director that's qualified to be able to do it. So maybe I'll do that in Hilton Head when I retire. Oh, well, thank you so much, Dan. Thank you for sharing all that. And I'll be looking to see if I can make it to the, gosh, it's like, it's so close to me compared to any other. Yeah, you have no excuse. <laughs> no excuse, Jennifer. I know. It's like, you know, 40, maybe 40 minutes from my house, which is usually you have to travel hours to get to a conference. So I need to get to Saddlebrook uh, in, what is it, February? February 4th through the 7th. And That's we right. look forward to seeing you there. And uh, thanks for all you do. Thanks for doing these podcasts because this type of thing is, is really good for our industry. And so appreciate that and wish you continued success and and all that you do. Perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate okay. it. All right, Jennifer. Thank you so much. All right. God bless you. Thank you all for listening. I would love to hear what you thought of this conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave us a review. And if you want to message me directly, you can do so on our website at vidatennispodcast.com or you can email me to vidatennispodcast at gmail.com. I will see you next week for another exciting episode of Vita Tennis.